true service of God. That's what we have been looking at. And we'll still continue to look at that. Second Peter chapter 1. We have been reading this for some time, so let's just continue there again. But because we are ready many times, this time around I'll be quick again. Second Peter chapter 1. Um, let me start from verse um, 2. He said, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason also, apply all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in that supply knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. Now, of course, you can say, I just picked one word from each verse, just to save time. So, for if these, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, he says, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Now let me just stop here. Let's take this one as our like introduction, all right, for today's message, our text. Now we've been reading for some time, and we've been looking at the issue of um, the true service of God. And I believe that it's one of the most important things Christians need to um, know. That's why I wrote a book, and for a long time, and I think till now, anyway, it's one of my favorite uh, books. I've written a number of them. But that one, How to Work for God, is one of my favorite. And I, um, I'm asking everybody to make sure that you get a copy and read. Many of the things I'm teaching now are inside the book. And of course, um, there, will be more, there may be things inside that I'm not saying, and just like there will be things I'm saying that are not inside there. So both of them should go hand in hand. So it's very important for Christians to understand it. Why? Because I don't want a situation in which people will deface the judgment throne of God one day and they will be disappointed. We have seen that Jesus said many will come to him that day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do miracles in your name? Did we not start churches in your name? I'm embellishing now. Did we not start ministries in your name? Did we, did we not go on medical outreaches in your name? You do not go to feed the displaced people in the internally displaced people's camp in your name. They do not go on missions internationally in your name. Now, the painful part is that many of these people did all of these things and they got results, including casting out demons in his name, including working miracles in his name. And he said, I will look at them that day and say, you, I, did, I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. What was God saying? I look more at what you do in your personal life than what you claim that you are doing for me. That's very important. And when God wants to judge people, that is where he starts. And we have to get that clear to us again. Everybody must bear it in mind. If you are doing something outwardly, 
For example, if your pastor thinks you are a very good worker for God and your wife does not think so, most likely your wife is right and your pastor is wrong. <laughs> Did you hear what I said? If you are a very, worker, a very good worker for God, a woman, so your pastor thinks, so you, the other women in your women's group in church, that's what they think, but your husband doesn't think so, most likely he's right and you are wrong. And the other people are wrong. Your pastor is wrong. Why do I think say so? These are the people that know you at home. These are the people that look and say, hey, hey thank God, oh, I heard that my husband is not a deacon. Praise the Lord. <laughs> and she's saying it, and there's a lot of sarcasm in her voice. That, <laughs> listen, that was why when Paul was writing to Timothy and to Titus concerning how to choose deacons in church, choose elders in church, he said, make sure these are people that have a good report outside. You don't make him a deacon in church when he's owing everybody in the neighborhood. That is a matter of fact. You don't make him a deacon in church when he cannot be trusted in his workplace. You can't make him a deacon in church when he's the last to come to work and the first to leave. He shouldn't be your deacon. Why? Because that's the real service. We'll talk about that. You'll find out that when God wants to check who is serving him, he doesn't come to church. And he told Timothy, when you want to find out who can serve God, don't check in church. Because in church, they all behave well. Very important to understand it. So God said, Jesus said, that day I will look at them and said, I never knew you. You walk out of iniquity. These are people who did things for God. So we said last time, let's not ever forget. That's why we focus our emphasis on, all right, as believers. We must be close to him. That is our primary assignment as believers. How close are we personally with the Lord or to the Lord? He said, they must first be with me, all right, before I can send them out, before I can give them authority to do things for me in life. First of all, they must be with, with me. We said we must learn the proper procedures of God if we are going to do things for him in life, all right? These are things we have already established. So I want to go on with, from that particular point where we ended last time. Looking at Second Peter chapter one, which you just read. Now, let me just. Sometimes I said last time, let me just say it again. Yeah, this, you know, we have to repeat this so people can understand and know. And in case somebody is into only this message, you will know some of the other things that we said. All right. Last time I emphasized something that the things that count. All right, when it comes to working for God, when you do them, usually you do not know you did anything. That was why those people came when the Lord said to them, He said, "Enter into the joy of thy Lord, because I was hungry, and you fed me." I was thirsty. You gave me water to drink. I was in prison. You visited me. I was sick. You helped me. You know, all of those things. And they said, when did we do all of these things? That is, they did not know they did anything. And that's how the things that we really do that account for God, that's how they are. All right? Many of us focus on the story of the widow of Zarephath, that she gave one offering. All right? Listen to me. That was what, not what brought breakthrough to her. It was not. What you should be careful to consider is how come Elijah got to that doorstep. When she was given that one offering, she knew what she was giving. She was aware she was giving to a man of God. The one that really counted that brought Elijah there, she never thought about it. The Shunammite woman, a story we know very well. Never, you know, let me not preach that message again. Because anytime I get there, I get stuck. People say, do this one so that God will do back for you. Once you think like that, he won't do anything for you. It doesn't count anymore. When the Shunammite woman saw Elisha, she never thought of any other thing than let's honor a man of God. I perceive, she said to her husband, there is a holy man of God that passes by us every day. So let's do something to honor this man as a way of honoring his God. And when the man called her in and said, what can we do for you? She said, nothing. 
that tells us that the reason why she did what she did was not because she wanted to get anything. So the reward that the, the, the man of God provoked, all right, that was provoked to work, that miracle he was provoked to work by her works, she did not ask for it. Please bear that in mind. Let's take examples from these people. Let's not just look at the consequences of their actions and not read the intentions of their heart. That's what we do sometimes. We read the consequences of their actions. We don't read the intentions of their heart. And when I expect that we'll get the same result, I told you once a young man wrote us from somewhere, all right, and said he was so frustrated. He had done everything that he was supposed to do. Not only did he not get the new job he was looking for, that day he lost the old one he had. And he was confused. If he's tithing, I've done it. If he's giving, I, I sowed seed, prophet's offering. I did everything. I gave to the ministry. I did all of these things. And then I prophesied upon my application. I saw the seed specifically tied to that particular expectation. He was so sure it would work, but it did not work. And when he wrote, we sent him a reply. Now you are close to salvation. That is summary of the reply. Salvation has come to your household. Now that your doctrines have been shown not to be true. As believers, the things that we do that really count, when we are doing them, we don't even know we are doing anything. And that's why I said last time, let me say it again. Let's make the doing of good a habit. Let's make the doing of good a habit. And the works that count with God are those provoked by faith. Please go and read my tract, Cheerful Giver. I explain there what it means to be a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver is not the dancer when he's going to the offering uh, basket. Because if you have anything like that, there's no cheerful giver in Kingdom World Ministries. Because there's no offering time. There's no offering time. There's no music time. There's nothing time. You just hear a nice announcement telling you that if you so wish to give to the ministry, nobody's making a compulsory upon you. When you are leaving, there is a basket out there. Please put whatever you wish to give there. Otherwise, take information and go to the bank. If you want to write a check, write in the name of this, of Kingdom World Ministries. And all of that, there's no opportunity to dance. Unfortunately, they even put the basket near the exit, so you can't even stay there for long. A cheerful giver is not the person who dances when he's giving money. A cheerful giver is never judged by what the person looks like outwardly. How do I know? If the Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. If the Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. If Paul says God loves a cheerful giver. It means God is the one that checks who is cheerful and who is not. Are you getting my point? And he said, I never look on the outside. <laughs> he said, I don't look on the outside. I look at the heart. So what God, what God calls somebody being cheerful is certainly something that is only inside the person's heart. God does not see as man sees, he says. So if that tract, cheerful giver, please go and read it. I explain that in details. Cheerful giver is a spiritual quality. Even if you are not giving, you are either a cheerful giver or you're, or not, you're not a cheerful giver. Are you getting my point? Being a cheerful giver is, is, a, is, a, is a personality type. Let me put it like that. It's a state of spiritual development. Even when you are flat broke, you are a cheerful giver. Even when there's no opportunity to give, you are a cheerful giver. Whether I'm preaching or not, I'm a Christian. If I'm with a Muslim, I'm a Christian. If I'm with another Christian, I'm a Christian. If I'm doing good, I'm a Christian. If I'm doing bad, that's not good, but I'm still a Christian. <laughs> you are getting what I'm going to explain here. That being a cheerful giver is a state of heart. It's not that money. But because you have that state of heart, it now expresses itself in your giving. 
So you give joyfully. You are somebody who rather give than collect. You don't give with a rope tied to your offering, hoping that, you know, just hold it down. That one, I gave it for my car. That's a rope upon an offering. Once you put a label upon what you are giving, that you've tied a rope to that offering, you have not released it, it hasn't gone. It has not gone. Many Christians don't know how to give. It's unfortunate. It hasn't gone. If you see tied something to it, it hasn't gone. When you put an offering in an envelope, you put it in the offering basket, and you label it towards my house. If you haven't given. The Bible never says God loves a cheerful investor. A hopeful investor. He never said so. God loves a cheerful giver. He's a giver gives. He's not expecting anything in return. See, but the Bible says give and it shall be given unto you. I said it didn't say give so that it can be given unto you. There's a word of difference between those two statements. The statements. Give and it shall be given unto you. It's a statement of spiritual principle. That's how life is. Spiritually, if you sow, you will reap. But if you sow, so you can reap. You have wrecked the seed. Why? Because God checks the heart before he gives a reward. These are not just automatic things. These are processes that are processed through God. I don't know whether I get my point. Very, these things pass through God. These things pass through God. And he said, I, the Lord, I test the heart. Very important. So what do we do? I'm just reviewing something we said last time. We make the giving, uh, the, the doing, I wanted to say, we make the doing of good works a habit. And that is a habit provoked by faith. That's why I use the cheerful giver thing as an example. A cheerful giver is cheerful not because he's, he just wants to be happy. It's just because he understands so much. You know, my wife came, to, came home today and said, that, did I hear what? They said that dollar was 410 naira today, was yesterday. So I just, I just laughed. Since it started sliding, ask her, I've been laughing every day. Why? I'm not afraid. I've not been afraid for one moment. It's a principle of life. There must be cold and heat. It will not cease. I don't know what you get my point. There's a time to be cold. It's cold right now. Summer and winter. You must understand. Summer time, ants go and hide. No, sorry, winter time, you go and hide. You, don't, you won't be running around the streets anyhow when it's winter. Miles Moreau in his day said something. He said that you don't fight the seasons. You cooperate with the seasons. That if it is cold and you walk out without you know, warming yourself, you are going to freeze. The season will not change because of you. That's why Paul said, I've learned how to abound and I've learned how to abase. What am I trying to say by all of that? So he sees an attitude of the heart. I've, ne- I wasn't, I've, never be- I've not been afraid. Once, ask her, one single moment. Long ago, you will remember, when it was still 200 or something, I said, it's going to 400 before we learn the lesson. I said it from this pulpit. I said, it will not stop. Hit 400. Not, not, not because I wanted it. I said, so everybody will wake up and realize <laughs> there's a different way to live life than this consumer attitude that we have as a nation. That's the problem of free money. Drill it from the ground. Sell the oil. We have this habit, attitude that that's how life is supposed to be. That is why the best testimonies in our country is how which job I got. The Bible never said it is the Lord thy God that gives the power to get jobs. It said the Lord thy God that gives the power to, to create wealth, to generate substance, to take what had little value, to add value to it. That's what it means to create wealth. 
I said it then. What I, why I'm bringing, bring up the issue is that that's why I don't look. If I have to give money, I will still give. People say buy, <laughs> buy dollar plenty. So you can hide as it's being devalued. It's as when you finish buying, they will revalue it. <laughs> you can't, as if you said, you plan for your future. <laughs> I laugh at that thing. I don't believe a word of it. I've, I've had this disagreement with Christians on it. I don't believe a word of it. You can't plan for your future. You can't. Forget a lot. You, I'm not saying you should. This is not sure. The, the argument is not whether you should or you should not. Is that you cannot. You can try. If all your plans come to pass, just know you are not blessed yet. Your blessing hasn't come. If a man sits you down and shows how you had 25-year development plan, it came to pass, just feel sorry for him. This man has never experienced the blessing of God. You can't plan your future. The other day I was in my office. I was just talking the way I'm talking now. Then, someone was telling me that uh, last week, that was last week, that it was $390 to the dollar. So I said, um, doesn't worry me. I was just talking the way I'm talking. <laughs> he said, chief. I'm sure you've bought a lot of forex and you have kept. I said, it is true. How did you know? He said, hey, I knew. You have a lot of forex. I said, plenty of it. I said, so no matter how much the value change, doesn't worry me. He said, hey, that is good. You have forex stacked up. I said, heavily. And I said, in case you do not know, my own is beyond forex. It's called spirex. <laughs> forex is foreign exchange. Spirex is spiritual exchange. Jesus said, lay up your treasure in heaven. I said, I have treasure in heaven. thought I was talking about dollar and pounds. That one is as bad as Naira. There's no difference. Spirex is real. It's tangible. Eyes may not be able to see it, all right? But it's tangible. And Jesus said, lay up your spirex in heaven. Lay up your treasure in heaven. And that's why I told him, I am not worried. I'm not concerned. So if it becomes 500 naira to the dollar, I'm not going to change my mind. I'm just going to continue to rejoice. I've been rejoicing. And they say, buy dollar and keep. I say, I will not. Listen, when you are doing things in life, just be sure of the kind of statements you are making before God. Yeah, everything you do in life is making a statement. I will give as I've always been giving. I don't care what you say is going on outside. We must, giving is a priority. That's what I mean, cheerful giver. A cheerful giver means I'm not afraid of tomorrow. It doesn't mean I'm dancing when they bring out the offering basket. No, it just means I don't, I'm not afraid of tomorrow. It's an attitude of the heart. It's an attitude. It's an attitude. Please, I hope you're getting my point here. It's an attitude. So that's what, I'm just adding something to what we said last time. So let's remember, the things that we do, okay, that really count with God, we don't know when we do them. We just continue to obey. We continue to walk with, um, with his word stimulating actions in our hearts, which is the most important thing. If an action is not stimulated by that conviction of the Spirit inside you, it's not of faith. But if it's stimulated by that conviction, that is what God really sees, that this man, this woman, is really, really doing a work that pleases me. I said to us, our work must be based on love for God and love for people. The Spirit of Christ working in us stimulates something. And if that is what, it's that thing that is stimulated by that, that actually counts before God. Let's not ever forget that. So let's continue from that point, okay? Let's look at that, Second Peter chapter 1, that's what we read last time. The emphasis being that he said, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, that's verse 8. That is, our aim must be that these qualities increase. 
Our aim must be that these qualities increase. That is the first work you are doing for God. Don't forget. If these things are not going on, whatever you are doing outwardly for God is not counting. If these things are not going on inside, whatever is being done outwardly is not counting. Let me say one more time. If the advancement of spiritual qualities in your life is not going on, whatever you are doing outside is not counting. It is not counting. This is the primary thing that God wants. I just realized something again. I think I shared a bit of, of it last time, but I, it just became clearer to me as I was um, going through some things. Now, when we use the word calling, all right? The word we actually, even though I, I use it like that too, it's just the way I speak. If, when I was reviewing the book, um, How to Work for God, I had to correct it a bit just to make, because some things have become our common language. So when we say calling, you say, is it called to ministry or is it not called to ministry? But you see, actually when Paul, if you read the Bible, New Testament, when you use the word calling, Calling is hardly used for what you are supposed to do. Calling is used for what you are supposed to become. Calling is for what you are supposed to become, not what you are supposed to do. We often use it for what we are supposed to do. But no, Paul will tell you that he will write to the called saints. People are called to be conformed to his image. That's the calling. Are you getting my point? That's when Paul talking about the high calling. That's what it is. That is, you are called to not be what you used to be, but come and become something else. That's what the calling is. A ministry is the assignment you are given to do. You are getting my point here? A gift is that thing. Gift and grace, they go together. It is what God pours into you that makes you able to do whatever it is he wants you to do. But calling... Is what you are supposed to become. Not what, not what you are supposed to do. It's not about being a pastor, an evangelist, an apostle, a prophet. No. It's not any of those ministry gifts like we call them. A calling is what you are supposed to become. So what is our calling? To become like Christ. Sainthood is a calling. So Paul will tell you the called saints. That's the way he greets people. Saints by calling. They became holy people. They become purified. They become exactly like Christ. That is their calling. But God gives each person a gift. And each person is also a gift in himself. That is, God takes you and says, you, go and bless people. So you are a gift to the people that he sent you to. You are getting the point here. And having a gift, you now have a ministry. What is the ministry? A specific assignment. A specific job you are supposed to do. For example, we may all be, let's say, um, um, apostles, as an example. Maybe five of us, but somebody's an apostle to North Korea. Can you see what I'm saying here? Yes, he has a gift of apostleship. He has the enablements that make him able to go and break fallow grounds for the gospel. But God says, you go to North Korea. You go to South Africa. You are one in West Africa. Each person has a ministry. So what you are supposed to do, therefore, is your ministry as you are deploying the powers that God has poured inside your heart. Are you getting my point here? But what I'm trying to emphasize is the word issue, calling. Calling is what you are invited to become. Not primarily what you are invited to come and do. So the primary thing is that calling. The primary thing is that calling. Why am I saying so? It's crucial, therefore, we bear that in mind so that when we are working, when we are 
getting involved in any activity. We are more concerned about fulfilling that calling. You are getting my point. Not fulfilling my ministry, but fulfilling what? My calling. You will fulfill the ministry, praise God, but that is after the calling. The calling is first, the ministry is second. Is that clear? The calling is what? First. The ministry is second. That's why when Paul was writing to to Timothy, he said, what I have taught you, commit to faithful men. Faithfulness is a calling. Who shall be able, see, grace, ability, to teach others also. That's an assignment. That's ministry. That's 2 Timothy chapter 2. He said, commit what I'm giving you to faithful men. Faithfulness is a calling. To be like Christ is a calling. To think like God is a calling. To have your motives purified for everything you are doing is a calling. You are getting my point here. Like I said earlier, to be a cheerful giver, let's use that giving again, is a calling. It's not the giving itself. It is to become somebody who giving is not a thought process for anymore. It's just part of life. Many Christians who give, they, are not, they have not become givers. That is why there's so much talk on their money. <laughs> Before, I used to say, look, I, I, I used to do it. I, just, I don't do it anymore. Before, take up your offering, speak to your offering. I don't do it anymore. I, I, did, I used to do it too. But now, I said, that this discussion of money is too much. One day, was it I cracked that joke? I said, if they want to give you money, they are whispering to you, will you collect? <laughs> now, what I just do is, listen, listen. When giving has become a part of you, if you want to talk to money, all you say is, Father God, thank you for the opportunity, thank you for the privilege, thank you for the heart. It's Lord, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for the privilege. Thank you for the faithfulness. Because giving is an, is an assignment. Many people don't deliver. You don't know. God gives them, okay, you, take a millionaire. Eat your portion. Share the portion. Give this one to this person. Do the, help this person with this. Do this with this. Don't forget this. It takes a millionaire and suddenly they say, man, breakthrough. They buy something for 1.5. And that's owing people. <laughs> The balance 500. That's what they call being unfaithful. The person is now unfaithful. Many people are unfaithful. In fact, some people are so terrible. I was meditating about it. It was yesterday. I just remember people that are so unfaithful. You know what they call unfaithful? Which is the opposite of faithful. I had to in my mind. One day somebody came to visit. I was in Lagos then. Family friend, somebody I know. You're going back home, yes. Ah, so I brought out money. Happens to be friends with my younger sister. I dashed out some money, and I said, please, give my sister this. So months later, weeks later, I saw my sister. Ah, ah, he said, Fana, she didn't hear from me at all. I said, what do you mean? I sent this person to give me money. She said, ah, next time don't do that. <laughs> that she will never deliver it. The money was never delivered. I've seen it, no, many times. You give somebody money, give this person for me. The person says, no problem. Receives the person, ah, Pastor, okay, but how now? How is ministry? How is everything? It is well. And it goes on, ah, oh. <laughs> and that's it. When I see you okay, they say, so I, I hope that money was enough. Say, which money? 
Thank God for these days of WhatsApp. WhatsApp has put a lot of stealing. You WhatsApp your friend first. I am giving, Pastor came to I'm giving this money to this guy to give you. Doesn't mean you still get it though. Some people are so unfaithful. <laughs> That's what I'm going to emphasize about being unfaithful. Are you getting my point? But what God called us to be is what? Faithful. Many of us look at money as if we are helping somebody. We are giving to God. No, it is God's called you to become what? Faithful. Faithfulness is a calling. So Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, make sure what, I'm, what I've taught you, you commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That this faithfulness is more important than ability. Don't ever forget it. You're employing staff. Faithfulness is more important than ability. It's difficult to train people to be faithful. But ability is a matter of time. You can confide it upon them. God wrote concerning um, 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 Bezalel. He said, I've given give him the spirit of the craftsman. And then another spirit. Many of us don't focus on the spirit of the teacher. He'll be able to teach others also. They don't have that spirit. But if they stay with Bezalel, he will pass it to them through training. So skill can be learned. But faithfulness, my father, is by prayer and fasting. And you cast out the demon of unfaithfulness. So when you find faithful people, you retain them. Ability, you train. Faithfulness is one that is hard. And that's why God focuses the calling. The calling is to faithfulness. The calling is to being reliable. The calling is to being like Christ. The calling is to becoming like God. The other things, they will come naturally. When God finds you faithful, he gives you a ministry. That's what Paul said. He said, when God found me faithful, he committed to me a ministry. Can I again say something? He was talking about these callings and all of that. He made a statement which I just said, this is so correct. Of course, when we first heard those things, we didn't understand. But as life was going on, you keep on understanding these things. He said, when he listens to, when he sees many ministers... He looks at them and says, this man is either not called to ministry or is hopelessly unfaithful. He said that this man doesn't have the unction to do this work or he's hopelessly unfaithful. I had an interaction with somebody some time ago and his friend was saying something. He said, I looked at this man one day, I told him, you are so gifted that where you are is not where you are supposed to be. Something is wrong. He said something is wrong. Something led to it. He says something is wrong. And you look at what is wrong. It's that matter of faithfulness. That's why I said then when I was talking, we were teaching here some time ago. I said then, people said, look, move from one place to the other. Then that was in banking. I'm not saying I was in banking. I mean, the story was about banking. Are you getting my point? <laughs> so the thing was about banking. People say, well, if you're an assistant manager, you move here, become manager. You move back here, you become and this one, you just be moving jigsaw like that, moving to and fro like the devil. Are you getting my point? So I asked them, I said, where is the place of faithfulness in this? Where is the place of faithfulness? Anything you are doing in life, remember, you are doing as unto God. You want to enter into a company, assume God is the boss. That he's coming there to check how you are performing. Many people leave to go and perform properly in church. Listen, if God did not, that if his own 
assignment for your life is not that church matter. Don't think that it will come there and score you highly. You come to church on time. My own personal theory, I'm not saying it's gospel. You can disagree with it. I believe that those of us that are ministers of the, of, you know, the word like that, we're just about, we're less than 10% of the total number of Christians. Where did I get it from? I said in, the, in Israel, God took one tribe out of 12. So I just assumed that would just be, that's why, that's my own, it's not as if I'm saying that it's, law, it's the law of God. Most of us, will talk about it, most of us are supposed to perform outside. Most of us are supposed to be, that's what, that, I mean, just what we know everybody to be. Businessmen, you know, traders, merchants, you know, lawyers, teachers, doctors, sportsmen, broadcasters, housewives. Are you getting my point? Builders, all kinds of things. That's what we are supposed to be. Few people are supposed to be, you know, this church thing. Few preachers, few of us are professional in quotes, <laughs> preachers. All of us should preach and teach. Everybody should be able to communicate the gospel. But I said, this is my, like we use the word calling now, just the way we normally use it. That is my calling in life? No. I believe we are less than 10%. It doesn't mean we are superior. It just means it's our assignment. Everybody should go out and be used by God. Can I digress? I found, I was reading my Bible. If I say this, it will surprise many people. Not just my Bible, I read many things. Some things led to it. I found out hmm, that the Jews did not regard Daniel as a prophet. Did Daniel in your Bible? They did not regard him as a prophet. I now, I now took my Bible and started reading, and I understood why. I read their arguments. Get my point. They all know him. It's in their own canon of scriptures. Except that when they are gathering the, the Jewish Bible, this is how it is. You have the law. That's Moses. This is Jesus showed them from Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. Okay, there are three things they have there. They have what they, these are their, their arrangement is. One, there's Moses. Then there's the prophets. All of them that you know now, minus Daniel. They call the prophets. Daniel was not included. Then they have what they call the writings, the chetubim. Those are every other thing, including the Psalms. All right? So the writings, they wedged Daniel between, I think, um, somewhere with Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. Daniel is one of them. They are considered historical books. Then I went through the story of Daniel and found out the man never said, Thus says the Lord. If you find it, I'm still reading it again. Please come and show it to me. He never said, Thus is the Lord. You see where I'm going in a moment. But what was his prophecy about? You see, I found out two things about Daniel. One, he was gifted to interpret dreams. So many of the prophecies you know were not sent to him. He interpreted for somebody else. Nebuchadnezzar dreamt a dream. He interpreted Nebuchadnezzar dreamed another one another time. He interpreted. That's how his revelations came. Then he began to pray for his people. Then God sent him a word of consolation. You call it a prophecy today. And God told him, this is what's going to happen to your people. And why did God do that for him? He said, because you're a man of high esteem. That this God just did him a personal favor as a friend. That I like this fellow. I love him. I like his heart. I like what he stands for. 
He's concerned about his people. So he told the angel, go and give him understanding. And the angel said, I have come to give you understanding. I'm not sending you to anybody. I have come to give you understanding. That was why the Jews did not consider him a prophet. Why am I talking about it? The man was a civil servant. What does that tell you? Anybody, any Christian can receive his kind of revelations. That's where I'm going on. I'm not trying to bring him down. I'm trying to bring all of us up. <laughs> Go and read it. The man didn't come saying, thus says the Lord. He had personal encounters, documented his personal encounters. That's why the Christians call him a prophet. Because we see things inside his encounters. The Jews, no. They said it was never sent. There was nothing like, go and tell my people. Thus says the, the man would just see a vision. Say, what does this mean? The angel said, okay, I have come to give you skill and understanding. He said, why? Not because of your calling or assignment, but because you are highly esteemed. <laughs> you see, that high esteem. You know, my name was not Daniel when I was born. I picked it up one day when I read the story of Daniel. That's why I wrote a particular track titled Daniel. I said, this is a man to be like. That heaven said, this man... Read what the angel told him. He said, you are a man of high esteem. That when we are discussing in heaven, when your name drops, the Lord nods. Hey! I said, Father in heaven. This is the... <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Talking about the work of God. That is what we are supposed to be targeting. Let me tell you something about us as people. God can, God can, God loves everybody. Amen? Amen. But God likes some people more than others. That's without controversy. There was a time Jeremiah wanted to pray. God said, come here. I told you don't pray about this matter. Even if Moses and who? Samuel were to pray, I won't answer this matter. That these are my favorite people. (laughs) That is, the legend, not everybody's on this. That's why I wrote the tracks. Are we all equal before God? Please get a copy of it. Are we all equal before God? What am I trying to teach? I'm going to emphasize, all right, that that's, where, that's our primary target. I told you, calling is what we are supposed to become. So that our primary work, therefore, as believers, is to labor to become exactly what God wants us to be. I just told the story of Daniel. Okay, like I said, it's a digression, but that's why I brought it up. That you see, the man was such, was a man of such high esteem that God gave him revelations for friendship's sake. Are you getting my point? That the man was praying for his people. And God said, listen, what this man is expecting is not what is going to happen. So let's go and show him what will happen so he can calm down. They fought battles just to come and talk to him. Because you are highly esteemed. Please, get, lay hold on that, my tract. Um, I wrote it. This is amongst our early products from this ministry. Am I, are we all equal before God? There was a time I changed the title to highly esteemed. I got some protests. So you, you, in case you pick some paper copies, some will be titled highly esteemed. Why some will be titled, are we all equal before God? All right? Just for one particular batch of produce that I changed the title to highly esteemed. But many people said no. That original title, are we all equal before God, is better. But please, get a copy of it. If you can't, you know what to do. Just go to our website, pastor.ng. Look on that tracks section. 
and then you will just see that you can download it or it's there as PDF. Please read the point I'm trying to make, uh, what I'm saying here. Read it inside there, okay? But my emphasis is the fact that we can all become like that. And that's our calling. That's our calling. That's what we call a calling. So we're talking about working for God, therefore. The true service of God, this way it starts. To pursue that. Not to pursue something outside. What have I done for God? No. What have I become for Him? Are you getting my point here? What have I become for Him? Have I been able to calm my spirit down? I'm an agitated person. Let me quickly say something. Don't use your natural, you know, personality to make excuses for your behavior if it's bad. I like to always emphasize that. Especially... (laughs) Let me talk to married women some more. The Lord is good. <laughs> I have a smiling specially. Because I'll preach this message to her like 200 times. I'm not saying she didn't hear it, but she keeps on hearing one part each time. So the message has about 200 parts. <laughs> the Lord is good. <laughs> now, just by the way, what I'm trying to say is that, you know, there's some things, you know, women say, you know, I'm a woman. Have you heard that before? If you are single, we say, yes, I will fight you. <laughs> I'm talking about men, you know, that's my point. Married men. Uh-huh. Have you heard it before? Did you say yes, sir? You didn't say yes, sir? <laughs> Just be sure. Choose uh-huh. anyone that say yes, sir. Very good. <laughs> that's something I tell my wife. I say, listen, I say, stop giving all this. Uh, I'm a woman as an excuse for anything. There's nothing like that. So I say, she's not a woman. Of course she's a woman, but if something is bad, womanhood does not make it right. Are you getting my point? <laughs> I know how I always win the argument, if it comes to that point. I said, Solomon said there are things that men also do. What did Solomon say men do? He said they love many women. I said, how would you like me to be saying, you know I'm a man? <laughs> yeah, Solomon said like that. He said, I gathered for myself the pleasures of all men. All men. Many concubines. I said, but as believers, we say, no, old things are what? Passed away. We are, not, we are not natural men. We are men of the Spirit. So the women too are also women of the Spirit. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. I, I won't say more than that. So what I just had to say is that don't use your gender and your natural you know, thing as an excuse. If something is bad, it's bad. If we can show you from Scripture that it's not good, it's not good. I said, you know, you know, as a woman, I can't wear the same dress twice. I said, who says, who says so? The dresses you wear is not whether you are a woman or a man. It's whether you have money. As a man, if I have many money, many money, I buy many dresses. <laughs> the Lord is good. And so, you know, there are natural tendencies, but we'll fight them. We'll submit them. That's what it means to put your body under. Because there are things the body wants to do. Tell the body, sorry, you can't have it. It's not right. It's not appropriate. What I'm going to emphasize here, that so, the primary thing we are doing for God is what we are becoming because of him. How we are changing. How we are becoming different. Before I was hasty, I didn't have control of my spirit. Then I read in the scriptures, all right, right, that the Bible says that um, he that is, uh, what's that scripture again? That he that that has rule over his spirit, better than the mighty and all of that. How does it go again? He that rules, has rule over his spirit is better than him that takes his city. You find that one out, the, you're making, you make ruling your, your spirit a primary target in life, and it's a work for God. 
that I must rule my spirit. There's none that you know in our family who don't take nonsense. Better learn to take nonsense. 